All right, let's pray. Ask God to speak to us through his word. Thank you for worship this morning, Lord. Thank you for the truth of who you are that we can drink in and rest in and and know you in those truths. And I pray for more of the truth of who you are to, to be unleashed from your word right now. I pray for your help. Help me to have the Ah, Lord, I just want to love you more right now and love this flock more right now and just have the right heart as I'm in your word right now and preaching it, so help me, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's go ahead and turn to James chapter 5. Uh, and if you need a Bible, we always like to say, raise your hand. We want you all to have one so you can look on this passage and a couple of other passages we're going to be looking at today. Uh, James 5 is on page one thousand. 13 in the Bibles that we're passing out. I am really glad to be back in the book of James this morning. So we've been going through this book. I know that the artwork says we're going to be doing this through the end of September, but that's not accurate anymore. We've got to change that again. That's all right. We're going to go through the first, Lord willing, today, next Sunday, and the following Sunday, and then we'll wrap up the book of James. It's been a few weeks since we've been talking about home groups, but I'm glad to be back in this book. Now, since it's been a couple weeks, let me just give you a, a recap of what the background of this book is. It's a letter that was written by James, who was Jesus' brother. And when we read the Gospels, you see that during Jesus' earthly ministry, James' response to Jesus was the same as all of us has been in our sinfulness. That is, James, in his pride and hardness of heart, refused to acknowledge Jesus as God in the flesh, which is who Jesus was and is. And so James just scoffed and mocked and had nothing to do with his brother Jesus. But... We read in 1 Corinthians 15 that after Jesus died and rose from the dead, he personally appeared, went to James' brother. We don't hear a lot of the details of the interaction, but we know there's a big before picture of James being so scoffing at Jesus, being hard towards Jesus, and then the after picture where James loves Jesus and trusts Jesus. And so God changed James' heart, and James owned up to the reality of Jesus as God in the flesh, the Son of God, and and welcomed him into his life as his Savior, and as his Lord, and as his heart-satisfying treasure. So that's James. Now James then became a leader, one of the, the elders in the Jerusalem church. And we get a little picture of the kind of man he was, the kind of devotion to Christ that, that God had put in him, because uh, the church historian Hegesippus it tells us that in A.D. 62, the Jerusalem Council, scribes and Pharisees, arrested James in Jerusalem and called him before them and gave him an ultimatum. Either he denied his Lord, Jesus, or they would stone him to death. And he refused to deny Jesus as Lord. And they stoned him to death. That's the kind of guy we're reading here. Okay? Love this man. Love how the Holy Spirit moved him to write this letter. Now, the reason he wrote this letter was because A.D. 42, 20 years before James was killed, a big persecution broke out in Jerusalem, and many of the believers had to flee for their lives from the Jerusalem church. So these were people in the church that James was one of the elders of, men and women, children he loved. Many of them had to flee for their lives, many of them without anything but just the clothes on their backs to, to flee the persecution, and they were up north in Syria, northern Palestine, and James heard about the difficulties that they were going through. Financial difficulties, uh, being persecuted, being oppressed by the rich, uh, just struggling, being tempted, being discouraged. So James wrote this letter to those who had been part of his flock there in Jerusalem to encourage them, to strengthen them, to build them up. 
We've been studying it. It's been a great time. It's been impacting me deeply. And so now we're coming to the end of this letter, and I was today going to talk about verses 13 through 18, but I just couldn't get past verse 13. There was just so much there, so we're going to focus on this one verse today. Look at what James says, and then we'll unpack it and ask the Lord to, to work this into our hearts. James chapter 5, verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. So it starts off talking about people that are suffering. Anybody here suffering? So what kind of suffering does James have in mind? What's he thinking about? And from reading the letter, you can tell that he's, as I already mentioned, the readers are like homeless refugees up in North Syria, North Palestine. They're poor. They're being oppressed. They're being persecuted. So James would certainly include things like that. But, but he would also include more. And I think what James is targeting here isn't just external troubles that we have, external sufferings that we have. I think James is, is especially targeting heart struggles, heart troubles that we have. And the reason I say that is notice that he's contrasting suffering with cheerfulness. Is anyone suffering? One group of people? Let him pray. Other group, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. So suffering has to do with any time our hearts are the opposite of cheerful. Okay, Like, if you're fearful, if you're anxious, feeling discouraged, um, hopeless, feeling empty, feeling just lifeless, those kinds of things. That's who James is talking to in this, in this passage. So, would any of us be fitting under the category when he says, is any of, any of you suffering? Let's just, is anybody discouraged here this morning? Okay, like maybe, maybe work has not gone well this past week, and you're discouraged about that. Or maybe you've been laboring in prayer and meeting people in your neighborhood or at your workplace, and you're not, not seeing people coming to know Jesus like you'd long to. And that can be discouraging. Or maybe you look back on this last week, and it's been a bad week with parenting. You know those how those weeks are. This has not been a good week, and and maybe you're, you're discouraged. So if you're discouraged, James would say this is you. Then he's talking to you here, and he's going to tell you what to do. Okay. Maybe you're not feeling discouraged. Maybe you're more just feeling anxious, um, worried about something. Maybe there's some fear in your heart. Like uh, maybe there's rumors of layoffs happening um, at your workplace. Fear, anxiety is coming into your heart because of that. Or maybe you've, like, you felt this strange pain in your chest yesterday. Anybody ever have something like that happen? It's like, ah, what is that? You know. Or maybe your child has connected with somebody else that you're not so thrilled that they're connecting with, and there's anxiety and fear. So if you're feeling anxious or fearful, then James would include you under the category, is anyone struggling? And he's going to tell you what to do here in this, in this passage. So discouragement, hopelessness, uh, anxiety, worry, and also just when you're feeling empty, when you're feeling hopeless, like there's nothing in your future that's capturing your passion. There's nothing out there that's like, yes, I'm excited about this. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. You just look ahead, it's just like blah. James would say suffering, heart suffering. That's the opposite of cheerfulness. And so he's going to be telling you what to do in this passage. So that's what James is talking about here. Anyone suffering, that would include 
his audience who were poor, oppressed, tempted, but especially he's targeting the heart suffering that comes with those kinds of things or any of the kind of heart suffering that we experience. So James is going to tell us what to do. Now, before we look at what he tells us to do, I want you to think of what do we usually do at those times that we find that our hearts are feeling the opposite of of cheer, the opposite of cheerfulness. I mean, just be like gut level honest right now. What do you usually do at those times when you're feeling anxious or worried or discouraged or lifeless or or hopeless? I mean, what's your usual pattern? Do you go shopping? Okay. One person. Anybody else go shopping? Um, Do you like just like, you know, let's find something good on TV. Okay. Right. Anybody do a little channel surfing? Um, You go to the gym. All right. Go on a mountain bike ride. I mean, try to think really honestly. We all have patterns that we have developed over the months and years of what we do when we find that our hearts are anxious, worried, discouraged, hopeless, lifeless. So, I mean, really honestly, what do you do? Click on some porn? Maybe hit Cold Stone Creamery? Okay. Maybe pick up a six-pack on the way home? Or two? All right. I mean, maybe some, some people dive into their work all the more. I'm just going to work harder. You know, or maybe you take it out on your kids, or your wife, or your husband. Maybe you just call up somebody and vent, you know, misery loves company. Okay, so do you have, in, have, have I missed anything? All right. <laughs> do, do you have in mind, I mean, do you know, what do you usually do? What did I leave out? Beer. Pardon? Six pack. That would, that would be okay. <laughs> Beer, six pack, all right. What else? Dale? Just stay in it. Okay, yeah, just stay in it. Um, like, I'll just move into self-pity sometimes. Oh, man, I just really, I'm just, I'm really feeling bad. Like, I'm, wow, I'm really, really, you know, then just kind of a downward spiral thing, and there's kind of a dark pleasure in being the martyr. Okay? All right? Anyway, you got the idea. So the important thing is, do you all have in mind, like, what you tend to do besides what James is going to tell us to do? All right? So here's what he tells us to do. Verse 13, very simple, three words. Is anyone among you suffering? Heart, heart sufferings. Let him pray. That's what he calls us to do. But like, like I said, I would guess most of us tend not to pray as our first automatic response. Right? Because the years before we were saved, the years before God changed our hearts, we developed other patterns of what we do, and those patterns are still in place. So we tend not to pray. But so I just wanted to raise the question why don't we pray? Why don't we? And I thought of a couple reasons that, that may apply to you, one or, or maybe, maybe a number of them. Why don't we pray during those times? One reason is just, I thought, obviously, it might be because you don't believe there's a God. Okay? If you don't believe there's a God, then you're not going to, to pray. That's obvious. And so if that's you, if this morning you're saying, well, you know, I know I'm here in church, but I don't believe in God. And first of all, we're glad you're here and appreciate your honesty, just being in touch with you know, what, what, you, what you believe and what your convictions are. We believe in God, as you've, as you've picked up from what you've heard and, and seen this morning. And one of the reasons we believe that there is a God is because, I just want to encourage you to think about this, 
is because 2,000 years ago, all the historical evidence points to the life of Jesus Christ as a life which can't be explained any other way by the fact that he was God. I mean, read the Gospels. It's my, my invitation. I just encourage you. Read the Gospels. Jesus looked at a man whose eyes were both blind. He said, be healed. Eyes. Saw. Changed. by Words. Jesus came up to a tomb of a man, Lazarus, who'd been in there for three days, decomposing already. Jesus said, come forth. Lazarus' corpse was revived. He walked out alive. And then, of course, the, the, the time when Jesus is on the storm with the disciples, howling winds, crashing waves, and Jesus stands and just says, Be still. Calm. All the historical evidence, all of it, points to the fact that 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ lived on the earth in a way that can only be explainable by the fact that he was God. God has come to earth in space-time real history so we could see and touch and read and know. God's come. That's how we know. That's one reason. Another reason we know there's a God is because all of Jesus' followers, all those who bend their knee before him and welcome him into their lives, come to know him experientially, personally, really. We don't just know that he's out there. We know him. We know him. We know him. I've talked with him this morning. He's here with me right now. We know him. So, but maybe you don't believe there's a God, and that's why you don't pray. Okay, fair enough. Glad you're here. I would just encourage you, keep pursuing him. Keep reading the Gospels. Any questions we can answer, any way we can help, we want to help. That would be one reason, obviously, why somebody wouldn't pray. Another reason you may not pray is maybe you believe there's a God, but you just don't think God does anything. A lot of people believe that there's a God out there, kind of like a force, like gravity. You know, you don't ask gravity to do anything. It just does. It just is there. Or maybe you think God, God's not just a force. He's a personal being. But, but you think God doesn't really intervene in the affairs of men and women. A lot of people think, well, that, you know, God's just, he's out there. He doesn't really do anything, though. But again, I would encourage you to look at Jesus. God came to earth in the person of Jesus. You can see who God's like and what God does by looking at Jesus. What's Jesus like? What does Jesus do? And all through the Gospels, people ask Jesus to do things. And what does he do? He does them. He has compassion on them. He helps them. That's who God is. God came in the person of Jesus so we could see God intervenes in the, in the affairs of men and women time and time and time again. Another reason is you might think well, I believe that there's a God. I believe that he does answer prayer. He does intervene in the affairs of men. But I'm too sinful to have God do anything for me. Maybe we're getting more, more down home to where maybe most of us in this room are. It's like, well, I'm, I'm too sinful to really have God do anything for me. And you know what? You're right. And I am too. It's important for us to kind of own up to this. Uh, in, in ourselves, in who we are, because of our rebellion against God, all we deserve from God is eternal punishment in hell. He's, he's just, if that's what he simply chose to do. But 
He loves us too much to let that stop him from caring for us. And so what he did was he sent Jesus. We've been singing about this morning. He sent Jesus and Jesus lived the perfectly morally blameless life we should have lived. And Jesus on the cross endured the the punishment that we should endure because of our sinfulness. So here's what this means. The moment you bend the knee before Jesus in faith and trust your life to him, at that moment, his perfect life of of goodness is, is, is given to you, you're covered with it, and all of your sins are forgiven. And from that moment, God embraces you as you are. He starts to change you. Okay, he starts to change you, he embraces you, he starts to change you, he loves you, you're adopted into his family, and from that point on, every day, he's rejoicing over you to do you good. You do understand that this afternoon, God has wonderful things he intends to do for you. This afternoon, he's got a plan. He's excited, he's rejoicing over us every day to do us good, not because of how righteous, good, holy we've been, but because of what Jesus has done, and we're clinging to Jesus, we're trusting him. But I'm sure some of you don't pray because you think, oh man, I've just, I haven't been good enough to pray. I'm just too sinful to pray. But see, Jesus came so that in spite of your sin, as you trust him, you're cleansed, you're forgiven, and you can pray and God will work. One other reason we don't pray. It's because I don't feel spiritual enough to pray right now. It's a little different than the third one. I just don't feel spiritual enough. I mean, I'm worried right now. Right? I'm, I'm discouraged right now. If I was full of love for God, then I could pray. And it would all be fine. But I'm not full. I don't feel much of any love for God right now. Right? I'm just I'm full of greed or lust or worry or discouragement or hopelessness. How often do we let that keep us from praying? If, if I could just get so I'm feeling more spiritual, then I could pray and it would all be hunky-dory between me and God. See, don't think that way. Picture it like this. Remember, we pray in Jesus' name. Right? And that's not just a, a phrase that we tack onto the end of our prayer like it's the way we say goodbye. It's in Jesus' name, amen. It, it, it means something. It's not just a phrase we use. That's a reality that, that we need to experience. Because we come to God the Father, not in our own name, not because of my goodness, not because of how spiritual I'm feeling, but we always come to God and are accepted in praying to God in Jesus' name. It's because of his goodness. It's because of his death paying for my sins. It's like you come to a very fancy ball or something and you, you pull out a card that says why you should be there. And if you pull out your card that's got your name on it, you'll be in trouble. Don't pull, pull that one away. Pull up. I'm connected with Jesus. Oh, come in. Come in. Okay? So we're praying in Jesus' name. So no matter how unspiritual you might be feeling at that certain time, if you will come to God in Jesus' name, saying, Father, I come to you because of the worth of your Son. I come to you clothed in his perfect moral blamelessness and righteousness, not my own. I come to you trusting in his death, which is the only way that your wrath can be propitiated, which I deserve to experience, but you poured it out upon him. So I come to you in Jesus' name now. And the Father smiles, says, I'm so glad you're here. Let's talk. So, don't just have in Jesus' name be a cliche, but talk to God that your Father, I'm coming to you now in the name of your Holy Son. That'll strengthen your faith. That'll build your expectancy. That'll give you a deeper experience of closeness in prayer. So pray in Jesus' name. 
Okay, so I, I wanted to get rid of all of the reasons we don't pray. So we've we gotten rid of all of them. So those are reasons we tend not to pray. And James is calling us that when we're having heart struggles, he's calling us to pray. So what will God do when we pray? Okay, there you are, you're feeling discouraged, or maybe fearful, or anxious about your work, or your kids, or your health, or whatever it might be. What will God do when we pray? Now, James doesn't tell us here. He just tells us to pray. I think the reason he doesn't tell us, though, is because he knows that his readers are all steeped in the Old Testament scriptures, Genesis through Malachi. Okay? They've been under his preaching and teaching. They were steeped in the scriptures. He knows that in the Old Testament scriptures, almost every book, every book probably does talk about what God does when we pray. So let me just pull out one verse to show you what God does. This is one verse which kind of summarizes what God will always do when you pray. It's Psalm 50, 15. Why don't you go ahead and turn there. In the Bibles we passed out, it's page 473. Psalm chapter 50, verse 15. This is one of my dad's favorite verses, and uh, I just, I love this verse. I would encourage you to memorize this verse. I would encourage you to pray this promise when you are in a day of trouble, as you'll read about this verse. If you've been around here for a while, you'll hear me refer to this verse very often. Look at what God tells us, Psalm 50, 15. He says, and call upon me. In the day of trouble, I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. So God promises, if you're in a day of trouble, any day of trouble, every day of trouble between now and heaven, any day of trouble that you face, this is what you do. God says, here's here's what to do when you're in a day of trouble, any trouble. It says, if we will call upon him, which means we come to him in Jesus' name, relying on Jesus' blood and righteousness, and we call upon God to deliver us, then he promises, promises, every time we do that, he will deliver us. Every single time. I don't see any footnotes here. I don't see any fine print here. I see an absolute universal promise here. If you're in a day of trouble and you call upon the Lord in Jesus' name, trusting Christ, he will always deliver you and then you will will honor him. Now, when you read through the Bible, uh, you read about men and women who are in days of trouble and they call upon God and you can see that there's two main ways that God answers their prayers. Two main ways. One is something he does sometimes The second is something he does always. I think it's important for us to understand these. First of all, let's talk about the sometimes one. Sometimes God will deliver us from our external troubles, problems out there. Sometimes, frequently, God will deliver, break in, and and solve the problem that's out there. For example, three weeks ago we studied... 2 Chronicles 20, remember that about Jehoshaphat? Remember the, the, the uh, foreign armies were marching, marching, marching against Jerusalem. We're going to slaughter Israel, the people of God. Jehoshaphat is scared. I love the honesty of the Bible. He calls God's people together. They fast, they pray, they say, it's a day of trouble. They're calling upon God, and God delivers them by taking away the external problem. Remember what happened the next day? God slaughtered all the enemy armies. God delivered them in a very dramatic way. Um, 
Janie, you mentioned about your daughter talking about God parting the Red Sea. Okay, remember that story? God's people, Moses, had fled Egypt. Egypt's armies are now marching, marching on their chariots behind them. The Red Sea's in front of them. What are they going to do? They call upon God, and what did God do? He parts the Red Sea, and they go across on dry land. So he delivered them from their external trouble. Uh, Last Sunday, we prayed for Paul Walton to get painting jobs. And we prayed for a lot of people for employment and work issues. Monday night, Paul texts me three phone calls. Okay, well, as of Monday night, that's awesome, three phone calls on Monday, four more during the rest of the week, so God, in a, in a very tangible way, delivered you from that external problem of not having paint jobs coming up. Okay, so oftentimes, God will deliver us from our external problems, and so we pray and we say, God, deliver me, help me, and time and time, I remember I used to do real estate years ago, as the church was just getting started to pay the bills, and... We'd sit down with our kids at night and, and, and we'd pray about escrow problems. We'd pray about loan approvals and inspection glitches. And they had no idea what those were, but we all prayed. And, and time and time and time again, the lenders would somehow miraculously approve the buyer or the contract tensions and difficulties would get resolved. Anyway, the Sharones have got two offers coming in. Where, where's Craig and Kathy? Kathy's working in the back. Anyway, we've been praying for their house to sell. They've got two offers coming in this afternoon, I hear. Is that right? Anyway, so we're praying for that. So sometimes, often, frequently, God delivers us from our external troubles. Now, I didn't say always, though, because there are times when in his sovereignty and wisdom and love for us and goodness to us, he allows that trial to remain. Right? The most clear example to me as I've read the scriptures is Paul's thorn in the flesh. Where three times Paul prays, and the Greek word there is a very intense word for crying out to God, free me from this thorn in the flesh, Father, please. Three times Paul prayed, and God, in love for Paul, said, Paul, I'm I'm not going to. In my love for you, I have something even better that I'm going to give you with and through this thorn in the flesh. More of my nearness, Paul, than you ever would have known otherwise. More of my nearness. And Paul says, all right, I'm I'm content then. Because if I can have more of your grace, that's all I need. So sometimes, often, frequently, God will deliver us from the external trial Always, though, God will deliver us from our heart trial. Always he'll deliver us from the heart trouble that we have. Now, here's some scriptures to back that up. I put them in your notes there. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Paul promises, God, by the Holy Spirit speaking through Paul, promises that when you're anxious, if you will pray and earnestly bring your requests before God with thanksgiving, The peace of God, which surpasses comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You'll be delivered from your anxiety. Your heart will be flooded with an unexplainable peace. It's a promise. He will always deliver you from anxiety and worry. Always. Is that what he's saying there in Philippians 4, 6, and 7? Check it out. It's right there. Philippians 4, 13, Paul says that there's times when we're we're weak, Our hearts are quivering with fear or insecurity. 
And if we will bring our hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ, he will strengthen our hearts so that we are assured. We are empowered in knowing his power, his love, his faithfulness, and and our, our hearts just grow strong in Christ. Weakness will be delivered from that always into strength. Psalm 34, David says God will always deliver us from fear. As we pray, it doesn't mean that the external problem will go away necessarily. Oftentimes it will, but not always. But the fear, he will always take that fear away. 2 Corinthians 1, Paul says that God is the God of all comfort. Those times where you're brokenhearted over something, and you bring your brokenheartedness to the Lord Jesus and cry out to him, Father, in Jesus' name I'm coming to you, comfort me. He will pour his love and his nearness and his compassion and his his graciousness into your heart and you will be held and embraced and comforted by him. You'll feel it and the brokenheartedness will be healed. Romans 15, 13, hopelessness will be replaced by hope. Matthew 11, when you're weary, Jesus will give you strength and the list just goes on and on. So sometimes God will deliver us from our external troubles. Always God will deliver us from our heart troubles. And that's why we pray. Now, don't misunderstand this delivering from heart troubles. It's not that just all of a sudden, out of nowhere, for no reason, your heart's just like peaceful or something like that. that That's not how it works in the scriptures. What's going on is, is because you've prayed and you've brought your heart before the Lord, and as you pray, God then will work in your heart to show you more of who he is. He'll change your heart so you see more clearly who he is. Because, see, the reason that I have heart struggles and the reason we all have anxiety and hopelessness and discouragement and emptiness is because I'm not seeing God clearly enough. Right? You can't see God as he's revealed in Jesus with all of his love and sovereignty and power and purpose and future and be fearful or anxious. You just can't do it. It's psychologically impossible. To do that. And so it's like, with me, it's like a picture like a fog bank. Here's God as revealed in Jesus, but this fog bank blows in, and it's like, I just say, I'm not really making him out very clearly, but I'm seeing my problem really big, right? And then you, you pray, you say, Lord, help me. You, you, you open up the scriptures, you look at God's word to see who God is, and the Holy Spirit, the wind of the Spirit, blows the fog away. Oh! And so the reason there's peace. Because I'm seeing who God is. The reason I'm comforted is because I'm seeing God's love. The reason I'm strengthened is because I'm seeing God's promises. The reason I'm full of hope is because I'm seeing God's omnipotent power, which nothing can stop. It's because I'm seeing the truth of who God is. That changes your heart. So it's not just all of a sudden, bing, all of a sudden your heart changes. But you see who God is revealed in Jesus. Okay, so that's what happens. We pray, we ask God to deliver us. Oftentimes he'll break in and deliver us from that trial. He'll part the Red Sea. He'll destroy the enemy armies. He'll have seven phone calls of painting jobs coming in. He'll solve escrow problems. Oftentimes he will do that. But sometimes he won't because he'll do what he will always do, and that is he's going to deliver our hearts by showing us more of himself in the thick of the trial and meet us there. Okay. So that's what James is talking about here. 
When we're struggling, when we have heart struggles, he wants us to pray. So I just want to, just want to challenge you. Why do we do everything else first, and then if that doesn't work, we pray? It's like, okay, there really is nothing on TV. I'll pray. As if that's going to help you more, right? I can't find anything to buy, okay, or whatever it might be. We, we just need to pray. It's like, the picture I had is, it's like a grizzly bear is running towards you, drooling with hunger, you know, fangs bared, running towards you, and here is this big old gun which says prayer on it. But we ignore that and like, play still rabbit. Or, you know, throw a rock or a pebble at him. It's like, no, pray! Okay? So that should be our first response, is to pray. But I mean, ask yourself honestly, why don't you? Why? Why? We've all had hard struggles this last week where we didn't pray about them. Why? There's no good reason. Okay, stop running from the grizzly, grab the gun, blow it away. Okay, it's not quite that quick all the time, but you get the point, all right? So pray, pray, pray. Mercy Hill Church, let's be a praying people. Let's help each other to pray. Let's, let's join together like Maria had that word about the power of God's people and helping us see God's love. Let's, let's share your burden in your home group. Have some brothers and sisters pray for you. So that's the first thing James talks about in this verse. Now this, we're going to cover the last half, but really, really quickly because there's not as much to say about it. But James also tells us what to do, not just when we're suffering, but what we should do when we're cheerful. Okay? A little better news here. All right? What do you do when, we, when we're cheerful? Let's say, let's say you just got the promotion, okay? Brian Whistling just got a promotion, okay? Congratulations, Brian. Let's say you just got the promotion, or let's say you just landed that big old sales account, or, or let's say your child just got potty trained, okay? So something really big, just no more, you know, diapers or pull-ups, all right? So, all right, so let's say something, you, you just had something happen that you're going to celebrate. You're cheerful, and what should you do? Look at what James says in verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Okay, we've covered that. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. James calls us, whenever we're cheerful, to sing praise to God. Now why? It's because every good thing that happens to you is a gift given to you by God the Father purchased for you at the cost of his son's suffering and death on the cross, which he's now giving to you who are completely undeserving of it. Every good thing that you have. It's a gift from God, purchased at the price of Jesus' blood, given to you who are completely undeserving. Now, why do I say it was purchased for you at the gift of Christ's blood? It's because if Jesus hadn't died on the cross, not only would you not have gotten the promotion, not only would you not have gotten the sales account, not only would your child not have gotten potty trained, you wouldn't even be here. You'd be in hell right now if Christ hadn't died on the cross. Understand that? So it's because Jesus died that you're here, that you're saved, and that every good thing comes your way. It's because every favor from God, you didn't deserve any of it. You didn't warrant any of it, but it was purchased for you through Jesus' death. So any good gift 
from God was purchased for you through Jesus' death. Let's get real concrete here. Let's say, let's say you got the job. You got the job, the promotion, or you, you got the, the, the employment package in the, in the mail or whatever. You got the job. You have to understand, this is not ultimately because of you. It's not. Now, we're all wired to think that way by our sin nature, but it's not. This is not ultimately because of your interview skills or because of your educational background or because of your hard work at your previous job. Those things are factors, but none of those are ultimately yours. All of those things are gifts. God gave you your hard work at that previous job. He gave you your interview skills. He gave you whatever skills or abilities you have. He gave you each of these purchased for you at the price of his son's blood given to you who are completely undeserving. That job is a total gift because the interview skills were a total gift and the job background is a total gift and the education is a total gift. It's all a gift given to you freely from Jesus. So you should say, thank you. Thank you. Do you see that? But see, we're wired to think, well, I nailed it. Nailed that interview. You know, nailed that thing. It's a gift. Jesus died to give you that and everything else that he's given and will give to you. Does that make sense? So every good thing that you have, ultimately, is a gift from God purchased for you at the price of Jesus' blood, given to you who are completely undeserving of it. And when we see that, we say, thank you. Right? We say, thank you. I didn't deserve this. Jesus, your death purchased this for me. Thank you. Father, your love, your mercy punished Jesus in my place so I could be saved and know your favor in this way. Thank you. And so we sing praises. Sing praises. You might say, I'm not a singer. The command is there. Okay, just don't have anybody else listen, but that's all right. Okay, just sing praises. Get in your, you know, close, roll up your windows, put on some Air One or K-Love or put on, you know, your iPod or whatever. Um, sing songs we do here Sunday morning. Make songs up. But nurture a habit of thankfulness and praise to God for his good gifts. Nurture that. As you look back over your last week, did you have moments where you were just thanking God for his gifts, for his son, for his presence, praising God for what he's done? See, every time we are cheerful because of some good thing that's come our way, we should respond with praise and thanks to the Lord. Does that make sense? Okay, now, notice that we're either on the suffering side or we're on the cheerful side, right? We don't spend a whole lot of time in between. You're either on the suffering side or the cheerful side. So if you're suffering, what are you supposed to do? Pray. If you're cheerful, what are you supposed to do? Praise, Praise which means there's never a time we're not Godward. Ever. Suffering, pray. Cheerful, praise. Pray, praise. That's the rhythm of the Christian life. We're praying, we're praising. We're praising, we're praying, okay? That's the rhythm. Now, here's what I want us to do. I want us to do a little lab right now. Okay, we had our lecture. Time for the lab. Because you are either on the suffering side right now in your heart, or you're on the cheerful side in your heart. And what I want us to do is, we won't put anybody on the spot, this is just in the silence of your own heart, but give you an opportunity to take a few minutes right now and do this. Just, just, let's just do it. Let's 
Let's pray. Let's praise. So I put some scriptures down at the bottom of your notes there. In fact, Dave, you want to come up and do a little background stuff for us while we pray? And so if, you're, if your heart is struggling now, if there's fear in your heart, discouragement, guilt, hopelessness, shame, regret, whatever would be the opposite of cheerful, pray. And here's some scriptures that you could pray. Psalm 42, 5. I won't quote them all, but anyway, you can read these, look at them, maybe they might help you pray. Also the ones above there, where I say, always God will deliver us from our heart troubles, you could look at some of those. But pray, and pray in Jesus' name. Talk to the Father about how you're coming to Him in the name of His Son. Talk about what that means, how it's, you're not there in your own goodness, you're not there in your own spirituality, you're not there because you deserve to be there, you're there in Jesus because of his death, his righteousness, his shed blood, his saving work. And so ask God to deliver you, and ask God to help you see who he is more clearly. So ask God to take the, take the, uh, the problem away, and ask God to change your heart so that you see him more clearly. And then as you persevere, as you press in, as you seek God with all your heart, you will find Him. You will experience His work by the Holy Spirit, blowing the fog bank of worry and pride, is what's in my heart so often, the fog bank away so that you see Him more clearly. And if you're cheerful, sing praise just silently to yourself, okay? All right? But just here's something, you can look at Psalm 103, Psalm 100, 1 Corinthians 4, 7 just simply says that everything we have is a gift to us from God. Psalm 145, 1 Thessalonians 5, 18 says it's God's will that we in everything give thanks. But let's just take some time right now and in the quietness of your heart, either pray or praise. And let's ask the Lord to come and, and help us to experience this so that we'll get into the rhythm of this more in our own lives. So I pray, Lord, right now that you'd come. We don't just want to hear ideas from your word. We want to Do them, experience them, live them. And so bring your power upon us right now. I pray for those that are struggling, help them to pray now in Jesus' name. And would you meet them now, change their hearts. Those who have been blessed with gifts from you and are cheerful, Lord, let them praise. And in the course of that, be even more humbled at your mercy and have even more joy as they magnify you. So come right now. Lord, put this upon us, I pray. That this week there be a rhythm of praise and prayer. And prayer and praise. In Jesus' name. Make us more God-centered, more fixed upon you, Lord, in our hearts. Help us to see the foolish things we tend to turn to before we turn to you. And to lay those aside and to seek you with all our hearts.